Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Read along with me if you would. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this, for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. Now, these are my only fellow workers in the kingdom of God, or for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision, and they have proved to be a comfort to me. Now, Epaphras, who is also one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear witness that he has great zeal for you and for those of Laodicea and those of Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, says, hey, Demas as well greets you. Now greet the brothers who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now, when the epistle is read among you, see that you read also the... um, so you read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that likewise you read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, or Archippus, Take heed to your ministry, which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Now, this would be one of those texts, perhaps, where you kind of reach this intellectual quandary. Here's the quandary. I mean, if it's in Scripture, God has an infinite amount of information information to put in Scripture. And why does he stick this in here? I mean, it's like the lineages sometimes, or the book of Leviticus, which, by the way, I am not one of those kind of people. When people go, well, you know, there's that book of Leviticus you have to get through. Every book of Scripture is gorgeous and has infinite amounts of information to give us that is so pertinent and real. The problem is when... And so don't ever expect me to sort of poo-poo certain scriptures and upplay others. Because the bottom line is, there are 66 books, and of all the information in the world, God has chosen this stuff to be put in there. Even John himself would say that even if I wrote about all of the stuff Jesus did, all of the libraries of the world couldn't contain him. But this stuff was specifically picked that you may believe in, and believing you may have life in his name. I mean, John knew that God was specifically picking information for the Gospel of John, for instance. And you read this, and there's a part of you that goes, okay, there's eight names, nine with this guy Nymphus and the church that's in his house, and there's this big shout out, hey, this guy says hi, this guy says hi, and you're like, whoop-de-doo, there's a guy that says hi. But I want to remind you, first of all, you're going to be spending eternity with these guys. It's kind of cool to know a little bit about them. But but as a person who seeks to, to go, God, let this scripture be something real and pertinent, and if it has to slap me around, let it slap me around. And what the Lord has just shown me, and I'm going to share it with you, therefore, is that each one of these individuals has sort of a different characteristic about them and the Lord asks is there a part of you that's like this guy now sometimes that's a really good thing when you go oh I can identify with this guy in this particular characteristic or would others say or more importantly would the Lord say I'm like this guy in this but there are other guys here that aren't exactly getting a high write-up and with that I'd really not like to be somebody who the Lord would go yeah you're kind of like that guy 
So each one of them is kind of the thing. And we kind of looked, talked a little bit about it last week. Like we talked about individuals that were kings in times past. That were, you know, this person, the bald or the fat or the bold or whatever. Um, each one of these kind of has a the with an F word. Um, nothing. Remember, this is a family thing. So... Um, you can write them on the back. If you look at the back page, you'll see that there's sort of that meet the team. And there's all of the people that are listed there. Uh, and, and by the way, the one that isn't listed there would be Paul. And Paul really is kind of playing the role of the father. Not the father in heaven, but the idea he's kind of the dad of the church. And he's seen a lot of these churches planted. However, the one that he hasn't seen planted is this church he's writing to. This is a church he's never met. But there is a guy, Epaphras, who's come and told him about it. Paul's in prison. That puts us at roughly right at about 60, 61, 62 AD. I mean, this kind of gives us an idea. Paul will be there for a couple of years in house arrest, released because they really don't have any legitimate charge on him. And I remind you, it's Nero, who's actually the emperor at this time. And then he'll be caught again in 67 and promptly beheaded. But not before Paul writes the last letter, his swan song, and that's 2 Timothy. So we're going to be spending a little bit of time as we look at each one of these characters. We're just going to look at other scriptures that are pertinent to them, which, by the way, I wrote on the back of your bulletin. So at least you can check up on them as you like. So um, for the sake of time, um, I've put them there, at least the verse markings. So let's take a look at these guys. And then and, and I would ask you to ask the same thing. Lord, is there a part of me that could be that this could be said of? So the first of them, Tychicus, for what it's worth, his name means fortunate. Now, Tychicus is found in the book of Acts. And I remind you, the book of Acts is, in essence, sort of the play-by-play of a lot of the life of Paul. There's a lot more to it. His life, uh, at least as far as the recorded part of it, starts in about chapter 8 and works its way through the rest of the book. Which, by the way, the book of Acts never closes. When you read the the, the, uh, end of the book of Acts, it's kind of like watching those movies you are absolutely sure a sequel is going to be written to because there's just no conclusion in it. Now, why is it that when we read the book of Acts, it just seems like somehow there's, there's no conclusion as far as the text, but we go, well, you know, scripture is closed. But what's not to say that God's actually writing the book of Acts up in heaven right now, and your name could be in it? Now, in order for you to actually make it into the book of Acts, there should be something about you that, I don't know, is active? It's not the book of, like, not doing anything, you know, the book of, like, slackers. I mean, can you imagine? God's like, oh, here's the book, and it's like, and then there was this guy. He did nothing. And there was this other guy, and, well, he played Xbox six hours a day. And there was this other, I mean, why would God record that stuff? I mean, that would bore us all to sleep. But there are individuals who've been so infected by Jesus Christ, to be honest, that their whole life has changed as a result of it. Now, some of these guys, now, think about it now. Tychicus. How many of us know who that is? Now, you don't have to raise your hand because here you kind of want to raise your hand because it would be kind of embarrassing if you didn't. Or Nesimus. Or is that how you say his name? One Simus. You know, Aristarchus. And, you know, the good news is at least you get practice at least hearing the name. So if you ever have to read them through. Tychicus. Notice what he says here. Beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord. Which one of us wouldn't want that said of us? Imagine if God were, and I do genuinely believe that he is, because we read that when we stand before him, he's going to open up a book of our deeds. Might I say he's opening up a book of our acts. Now, he's not recording all of the things that we've done wrong, because to be honest, they've been washed in the blood of Christ. The question is, are you, and I'm not telling you that you have to do this for this purpose, but are you in love with the Lord enough, available to the Lord enough, that somebody up there is getting writer's cramp? Because of all of the things God is doing through you. Or are you one of those people that he's sort of, there's someone up there poised with a pen in hand and going, ah, 
Another opportunity to write something and nothing. This particular individual, Tychicus, we read here, is a loved brother, but notice he uses the word faithful. Interesting. We do read about this guy in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. We just read that this guy, by the way, accompanied Paul. He was just somebody who came with him. But in the book of Ephesians, the end of it, chapter 6, verse 21, we read this. So that you may know my affairs and how I am doing. And again, affairs is what I'm doing, not like he's being adulterous. That you may know the things I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make these things known to you. What does that tell you? In this book and in the book of Ephesians, these letters, they were delivered personally by Tychicus. In other words, Tychicus was the mailman. He was the Pony Express. Notice what it says in this, in this again, chapter 4, verse 7. A beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord will tell you the news about me. Now, how, come he, how will he tell you the news about me? Well, he's going to show up there with this letter. So, in other words, we get a knock at the door. And someone opens and goes, Hey, Tychicus! How is it? Hey, Tychicus! You know... <laughs> And the guy shows up and he's like, I got a letter from Paul. And you're like, ah, oh, praise God. Interesting, again, in Ephesus, he also does so. Now, in the letter of, of Titus, chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says to Titus, When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me in, ne- in Neapolis, or Nicopolis, I'm sorry, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Now, understand, Titus was dropped off or sent to Ephesus because the church there was floundering, and he sent Titus to help fix it. So imagine, by the way, this was the closest thing to New Orleans you could possibly find. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with New Orleans, it's basically sort of voodoo capital of America. Everything's kind of spooky and odd and all that stuff. And, and there was, I mean, in the middle of it, this several-story giant statue of this gal that's, in my opinion, not so attractive, but she's the goddess of pleasure in their opinion. And it was, everything lived in the shadow of it. Oh, it's Tychicus. <laughs> now, now, hear me out. Now, with this, the church seems to be floundering. And, and for what it's worth, no church gets more press in Scripture, as far as more mail, than Ephesus. Because Paul writes the letter to Ephesus. And then the letter to Titus goes to Ephesus, because that's where Titus is. And then notice he says, I'm going to send in a replacement. Who's the replacement? It's either going to be this guy Artemis, or it's going to be this guy Tychicus. Someone's going to show up there. One of those two is basically your replacement, which means that Titus was an interim pastor. He was just there for a period of time to help fix the church until a guy showed up to be pastor. So which one of the two guys shows up? Well, remember the last letter that Paul writes is 2 Timothy. And in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. That tells me that the guy that he trusted the most with a floundering church was Tychicus. And might I say that Tychicus would just be called Tychicus the faithful. Or is there something in you that God could say that about you? Now, faithful means that when a responsibility is left in your hands, you just do it well. That the person, I mean, when I talk about people that I know are faithful servants around me, that is someone that I know that I can hand something to and then forget about it. Just, hey, forget about it. Because I just know they'll be faithful enough to get it done. I won't have to jump into the middle of it somewhere and try to figure out exactly what they did or didn't do. Because that's more work than doing it in the first place, isn't it? But Tychicus, if we put all that information together, this is what we have. Tychicus 
And by the way, who's from Thessalonica, uh, according to, uh, I'm sorry, no, he's not, he's from, he's from Asia. So he's, no, note if you notice, that's the western part of Turkey. So he's basically from the Ephesian area. He may have very well been from Ephesus. And with that, this is a guy that Paul has sent with the letter again to Colossae. This is somebody that Paul has sent with the letter to the Ephesians, which, by the way, he also writes while he's in prison. And then somewhere down the line, the guy comes back because he says, hey, well, tell me how's the church in Ephesus doing? Tell me how the church is doing, you know, in Colossae. And he's going to come back with that information. And then Paul's like, you know what? I think we need to send in a replacement for Titus. Well, let's get Titus over here. Maybe you could use a little bit more training, some more discipleship. Let's send somebody to replace him. And you can see Tychicus going, I'll go. I'll go, man. Send me. And so he sends Tychicus to be the pastor then of the church of Ephesus. That's a pretty radical thought. And we get all of that from a handful of verses. You may not have known that before this point, but the bottom line is, could the Lord do that with you if he wanted to? Could he say, look, I'm going to send you on a mission. I remind you, in the beginning, it was just a male boy. But he was faithful enough at being a male boy that he wanted becoming the pastor of a church that is one of the most prominently focused churches within Scripture. Well, what about you? Could the Lord bolster and bless and explode this beautiful, gigantic ministry? But it starts with just being faithful. Is there a part of you that's Tychicus the faithful? Now we have our second individual, Onesimus. Onesimus, there are four different one-chapter books in the New Testament. Two of them are very tiny. That's 2nd and 3rd John. There's another one, Jude, that's the second to last book of the scripture. And then there's another one named Philemon. And that's one of those books you may also read quickly through because you're like, wow, I really feel like this is pretty personal information. To wrap up the idea of this letter, of um, this particular letter, Philemon, it's a personal letter from Paul to this guy named Philemon. By the way, he does carbon copy, um, in essence, he CCs it to the pastor that's there as well. And that's kind of important to note. He says, so look at the church that meets at this pastor's house. Begin the idea of it is because he's going to be calling on a favor to this guy. So he wants to make sure the pastor is also involved in case the guy doesn't want to do the favor. It'd be nice for the pastor to know. So we could step in and go, you know, you really should do that. And here's the idea. Somewhere in ministry, this guy, this guy Philemon, got saved. And it appears to be through Paul's ministry. So somewhere through it all, Paul was sharing Jesus, and this guy gave his life to Christ. Now, as he gave his life to Christ, here he is, this brand new creation. He gets discipled for a bit or whatever, and he is a slave owner. And again, I remind you, that just simply means, in the most case, that basically if you owe someone money, you worked for him. Now, it isn't like he whipped them or kidnapped them. By the way, what we would call slavery today is condemned in Scripture. When people go, God condones slavery, not the slavery that we define. Because kidnapping is a capital offense. You go to another country and steal someone from their family, the punishment for that is killing you. Which should stop you from stealing someone from their family, in theory. So God is not into that. But let's be honest. If you genuinely work someplace, you can't tell your boss your hours. You can't say, I just decided I'm going to do this and you just deal with it. The bottom line is, he dictates your hours. You can ask, but you can ask. But you can't demand. And in the same way, you just had a little bit more, pro- you had a bit more of that than we have today. And today you can pick that job. If you owed someone money, you couldn't really say much until you paid off your debt. But there was a guy that actually was one of those slaves, and his name was Onesimus. Interestingly enough, for what it's worth, his name means useful. And this guy bails on his master. He runs away. 
And in running away, whether he ran to Paul or whether he ran and bumped into Paul, somewhere down the line, the guy ran into Paul and he got saved. And now here is this guy that apparently seems to owe, again, he seems to owe this guy Philemon money. But as he owes him money, Paul now is sending a letter and he goes, hey, basically he followed me home, can I keep him? I mean, he's really useful to me. This guy's a useful guy. And then Paul pulls out one of those classic little jabs. Let me just remind you, you owe me your life, pal. You gave your life through this ministry. If he owes you anything, charge it to my account. Which is Paul's way of saying, hey, forget about it. Can I keep him? So that's what we know about this guy, Onesimus. He was a slave that has been set free. So might I call him Onesimus the freed? And there are going to be people, to be honest, in life that people are going to just know you as the person that's been set free. Now, that's not everyone. But there are going to be people that they just look at and go, wow. And it'll be that the Lord will choose to keep scars on you that other people will look at. There was a guy back in the Central Coast. Boy, did he live a radical life against Christ before he got saved. And he had just, I think he went to like one of those Camden tattoo parlors. That's called like death on, you know, hell on a needle or something. And um, because it's just like a big picture of like his skull and all that on his back. I mean, it covered his big wide back. And, And he just, you know, but the thing is, once he got saved, instead of getting all those things burned off, which I think, you know, who wants to do that? Um, he decided instead to go shirtless, which was classic for Fernie. But uh, he would do that and people would kind of come up to him and then he would turn around and share Jesus with him. It was sort of his tool. But one thing was obvious when you looked at the guy is he was a guy that was set free. And there are going to be people like that out there. Now notice what he's doing because it says in verse 9, with Onesimus. Now, in other words, Tychicus, I'm sending the guy he's going to drop off this letter, obviously. And he wants to find out how you guys are doing. But I'm not sending him alone. I'm going to send him with Onesimus. Which leads me to believe that either the letter to Philemon is on the way or more likely it's actually gotten there. And Philemon said, okay, that's cool. Go ahead and keep them. And Paul goes, well, good, then let's get you to work. All right, you two are going. Onesimus and Tychicus, I need you to drop off a couple letters. Now understand, Paul's in Rome, so that's several hundred miles away. And it's not fun route. It isn't like you get to go and fly first class. You don't even get to fly coach. I mean, you're riding an animal at best. Or a ship that's usually like a cargo ship. It's, it's a, by the way, lots of people died on cargo ships because you actually basically had to sleep on top of the cargo. And when that stuff slides around, so do you. Well, good luck. You know, or I should say Godspeed. You know, and so Onesimus, he's coming with and he's saying hi. So what do we get in the beginning? We got a faithful guy and a freed guy. That's the two people that are showing up at our house church. And I want to remind you that the church that was happening in Colossae was a lot like this. It was a house like this with people that were surrounded that may not have loved Jesus around us. But in all of that, um, someone comes to the door and says, I got a letter from Paul. I mean, do we even know that's going to wind up in the Bible? We just know this guy loves Jesus and he's helping make sure that our church is right on. To be honest, the only difference between that and this is we had the book before somebody showed up at the door. And so we've got Tychicus the faithful and Onesimus the freed. Our third one. And then there's Aristarchus. Aristarchus, we read, by the way, my fellow prisoner greets you. And I really do like this guy. 
Uh, first of all, his name means ruler of the feast, or the guy that's in charge of bringing a great feast, which is a bit ironic for the kind of person he actually lives to be. See, we're introduced to this guy in Acts chapter 19. And the way that we're introduced to him, really, to be honest, is a really interesting thing. Paul is in Ephesus at the time. And he's there, and he's going to be there for a couple years. Good ministry is happening. And we read that God works unusual miracles through the hands of Paul versus the ordinary miracles that Paul was doing before this. You know, people are getting healed. And, you know, these are weird miracles, you know. And I'm thinking, okay. And he says, it's so much so that Paul has a hanky and people are laying it on top of people and they're getting well. He's got an apron and they're laying on top of people and they're getting well. And I think, and demons are cast out of people. I mean, imagine, here's Paul. Someone goes, can I have that hanky? Now, I mean, there are people in this house that if you took a hanky like that and put it near them, they'd be like, oh, I'm well, I'm well, I'm well. But this was legitimate healing here. And it says that a real radical thing is starting to take place as a result of all of this. Because all of a sudden, what they're realizing is, this Paul cat is in love with someone. There's some power that's associated with Paul. And they know that that power's name is Jesus. So there's a bunch of guys, and perhaps you're familiar with the story of these PKs, these priest kids. There's seven of them that are part of, but not exclusively, a bunch of itinerant exorcists. In other words, these are guys traveling around looking for possessed people to try to cast demons out. That's their job. What do you do? I mean, imagine putting that on an application. What was your last job? I cast demons out of people. <laughs> Why did you quit? Uh, and around here, you couldn't say because there's a shortage of people possessed. That's for sure. Nonetheless, these guys are coming, and it's a chief priest is their dad named Skiva. And these guys are running around and they find some guy. He's possessed one guy, one demon. And they say, we command you, evil demon, blah, 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 blah. In the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches, which tells us they don't even have a relationship with him. We just know him as, hey, this is a magic abracadabra, poof, walla, wama, come out. Ah! And the demon actually calls their bluff, which means before this point, it appears as if the demons were just freaked out enough they just left. But this demon actually says, all right, well, let's try to check you at your street cred. And so they turn around and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, Jesus, I definitely know Jesus. And to be honest, Paul, I know Paul. <laughs> but who are you? You know, I mean, we kind of, we checked this morning at sort of the, you know, demon post office. You know, most wanted. There was Paul. Certainly there was Jesus. I, I don't recall seeing your face there. And you can imagine, it's sort of like, don't play games with this kind of stuff. You know, there's no part that says you're tougher than a demon. It's greater is he who was in me than he was in the world. It doesn't say greater is me with he. I mean, you can see the Lord going, you really want to take on that thing? I'll step out of the ring. You go step in, see what happens. And it tells us the one man possessed with the one demon jumps to seven exorcist guys and they run out of the house naked and bleeding. Which has to be really fun for dad is he's kind of doing his work and the kids all come running and naked and bleeding and such. And he's like, how was your day? (laughs) What exactly happened? Interesting is that God didn't do that just to teach those boys a lesson. What that showed, and this was interesting because it tells us then in chapter 19, the result of that was a bunch of people then handed in the spell books. So all of these people that practice, and that means all of the Harry Potter books all tossed into a fire. All of the, you know, you know, Aleister Crowley books on how to cast this evil spell all tossed into a fire. 
Because now it's like, look at, I don't even want to play with this stuff anymore. The real deal's here. And I'm not even going to be entertained. I'm not going to play with this stuff because this stuff's evil. And it tells us that when the people through all of this magic, and understand a person that's playing with that that doesn't know the Lord, they're just looking for power. That's what they're looking for. Let's be honest. And a lot of these kids are like 13 years old and they feel powerless. They're, you know, they feel powerless over their bodies. Their voice is like this. And mom and dad says, well, you're not really a man, but you can't go out and do anything unless I say so. Curfews when I feel powerless. And someone says, ooh, do this book and you can cast a spell. And all of a sudden they're throwing flour in the air and they're looking at their parents saying, curfews midnight or curfews four in the morning. <laughs> parents are like, what are you doing? <laughs> The spell. Back in Chicago, there was a sister, a new, a new Christian. Man, it was awesome. I mean, this girl, she was so cool, and she'd given her life to the Lord, and she was so excited, but she was right fresh out of the womb, still burping her mother's milk when it comes to Christ. And, and in all of that, next to her was this coven house. And one day, she came home, and she opened, she just kind of kicked her welcome mat. And underneath her welcome mat was a pair of her underpants covered in pepper. That's a little weird. You know, and uh, first of all, any, and there isn't a person here that if that happens, we don't go, okay, this is going to be a weird day. But <laughs> she gives me a call. And now this is a little awkward. She has to call and she goes, I really believe one of the women next door broke into my house, took a pair of my underwear, covered them in pepper and put them under my <laughs> doormat. Now that's now the good news is hopefully you're not the kind of person who goes that just happens to me every day. But <laughs> but but in that uh, okay, follow me on this. She calls me and she just goes, "I think they tried to cast this spell." Now I'm a new believer. Is this a dangerous thing? Are they dangerous? Are these underpants dangerous? My response is, well, if you put them on, they are. Um, the Bible says, and hear me out, the Bible says, no curse sent against you can land. If you belong to Jesus Christ, he has now put a special Holy Spirit force field around you. So when they throw, just bounce, it just bounces off of me. You know? And the bottom line is, know that. I mean, you're in the hands of the living God. I mean, your dad is... God! Exactly. And people go, oh, you're, you're one of those sheltering your kid types. Well, yes, I am. That's part of what a dad does. My job is to throw myself on top of my kids when the bombs are falling because I want them to be safe. And I'm evil. How much more your heavenly father? Well, all of this stuff is happening in Ephesus now. And all these people are burning. And it tells us something interesting. It says that the value of all these books was 50,000 pieces of silver. It doesn't tell us pieces of gold. It tells us pieces of silver. And that's interesting because silver tends to be then, what we're looking at is a very common currency there in Ephesus. Well, the next thing we find out is there's a guy who works with silver. Hmm, interesting. Because all this silver that used to be made into, and he makes the trinkets of this Diana character. So you can buy, and it tells their shrines. So in other words, there are these little things in Anyways, and so you can, you know, you can have a little, you know, Diana in a pocket that you can bow down to and worship whenever you want to. Or maybe a Diana in a fountain so you can throw your coins or whatever. But they're making these things out of silver. And all of a sudden he realizes business isn't just bad for the, you know, for the Aleister Crowley fans. Business is bad for the make your trinkets. And the bottom line is, understand, if everybody in London gave their life to Christ, Soho would have to transform. You wouldn't even have to transform, so it would have to transform on its own. Because nobody's going to be going there. 
And strangely enough, all of the pubs might turn into Starbucks. Now, that itself might be relatively evil, but just the same. It's less. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. Um, you know, but I mean, the bottom line is one thing's for sure. For whatever reason, we should change the name of our street to Screamer Street. I don't know what happens, but when people start walking down our street, they just start yelling. I don't know. But at two in the morning, we could pretty much be sure that there's an alcohol-related scream involved in that. But things would really be radical. And all of a sudden, you'd realize the police would actually have to start doing something different. I mean, a lot of those guys would be very, very different. I mean, think about what would happen if this country became... And I'm, it sounds utopic. Well, it is. But what would happen if there was a revival in this, in this city? And with its influence all over the world, what if it happened before the Olympics? And all of a sudden, it's like five rings. Let me tell you about you know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you about the five books of Moses and how you've been set free from the punishment of it. And, I mean, just, you know, they wouldn't know what hit them. But Demetrius, he's not real happy about it. You know, all the liquor store owners are a bit upset at the moment because nobody's buying their liquor. That's the idea. And so what happens is they're like, well, we need to stop this. And, you know, it's all this one guy, this troublemaker named Paul. So they just rush into the house where Paul is staying. Oh, this is perfect timing. Sorry. They rush into the house where Paul is staying and they can't find Paul. So somehow they've done a good job of hiding Paul, but they grab a couple other guys instead that obviously seem to be Paul's traveling buddies. And one of them is this guy, Aristarchus. That's where this starts. That's how we're introduced to the guy. We're introduced to this guy the moment they run into this house and grab this guy and yank him out and stick him into the theater in Ephesus. And then it's surrounded and the place is full. The place is packed and nobody even knows what the heck they're doing there. So they're just people are screaming different things. They're just screaming. Ah! Go Arsenal! Oh, see you later. Oh, mangoes! They just scream whatever. And all of that, finally, they find out the guy's a Jew. And when they find out that there's some Jews involved in all of this, well, then that becomes stranger. Because this guy, Aristarchus, for what's worth, he's from Thessalonica. But then there's another guy that's with him, and they're like, oh, wait a minute, there's a Jew involved in all this. Greatest Diana of the Ephesians! And they scream this for two hours! Now, I challenge you on your own. I mean, I've done this before at church. Here it would be a little weird, because especially with the neighbor next door. But if you just challenged, great, if you just shouted, great is the Lord God Almighty for two minutes straight, every one of us would be like, gosh, what do you mean it's only one minute? But two hours of that? And finally, the clerk goes, what are you guys doing? This is an unlawful assembly. This is a riot. The Romans are going to come in and kill us all. Shut up and go home. If you really have a problem with these guys, take them to court. Go find Judge Judy, but don't make this something that I have to get in trouble for. Loose paraphrase, of course. Here's the most amazing part. They know that, I mean, this guy Aristarchus knows that they're looking for Paul. And then Paul, and then they go, Paul, you need to get out of here. We need to get you out at night. And the craziest part about it is Aristarchus goes, I'll go with. I'll go with. Aristarchus, they just almost killed you. There were tens of thousands of people in a, in a theater waiting to kill you. And he goes, hook me up. Let's do it. What kind of guy is this? Huh. By chapter 20, we read again that he accompanies Paul. By chapter 27, he accompanies Paul to Rome. And every place that Paul has been going, they're like, Paul, they're going to kill you there. It's Paul. They're going to bind you. And there's this guy with them that goes... I'm, I'm not leaving, man. I'm staying with you. Let's do it. 
As a matter of fact, in that book of Philemon, it tells us that one of the people is this guy, Aristarchus, that's in prison with Paul at the moment. And that's what we read again back in this text in verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. And might I just say, while we have Tychicus the faithful and Onesimus the freed, we have Aristarchus the fellow sufferer. He is the opposite of a fair-weather friend. You know the kind of person that as long as things are looking good, they're looking good with you. But then there's the other person, when things get tough, they're just like not to be found. This guy entered into the relationship when things were tough. And he stayed faithful all the way to the end. And I'm just really thankful that this is getting... Do you have anybody like that? That you just know when things get really tough, you can call on them. And they'll pray with you. They'll be with you. They'll cry with you if necessary. Let me ask you this. Are you that kind of person to someone else? Because if you're not, how would you expect someone else to be that way with you? And if you're like, wow, stinks to be you kind of person... It's a pretty good possibility that's the kind of friend you'll have too. But let me ask you, is there an Aristarchus, the fellow sufferer, in you as well? All right, number four. With Mark. And again, these are shout outs. That's all these are, right? These guys say hi. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you've received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, Mark's got a very colorful past, by the way, according to scripture. This guy has actually got was quite recorded. In the book of Acts, first of all, the way that we meet him is interesting. We read that his mama's house is in Jerusalem. That's kind of how we're introduced. So in, in Jerusalem, John Mark's mom's house. As a matter of fact, some believe John Mark's mom's house was the house they were in when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, the 120 in the upper room. Is that true? We can ask John Mark when we get to heaven. By that point, we really won't matter. This is what we do know about him. When Paul gets called to the ministry with Barnabas, set apart to do evangelism, to do church planting, Barnabas wants to take his, his nephew with him. That's this guy right here. Now, John Mark. They take him with, and they head through Cyprus, and then they head up to the southern coast of Turkey. When they head up to the southern coast of Turkey, John Mark has had enough, and he goes back to Jerusalem, which, again, is Mama's house. Now, it doesn't tell us why. It just tells us he does. And the problem is, is that when John Mark, I'm sorry, when Paul and Barnabas want to go on trip two, second mission trip, Barnabas says, well, let's take them with again. And Paul's like, no way. That tells me at least a little bit about Paul's attitude about the guy. It appears to me that Paul thought this guy bailed on him. So if we put that information together, what appears to happen is this. Somewhere down the line, and there was some crazy stuff that took place in Cyprus. I'll spare you for the sake of time. But by the time they got to the southern coast, and again, this is, by the way, maybe a third into the trip, at best, a third into the mission trip, Barnabas is like, I'm sorry, John Mark's like, this is too much, I'm going home. So he flakes. Now he goes, hey man, let's go with, he needs to come with, we need to restore, and Paul's like, look, I am not going to compromise this ministry for a flake. Restore him yourself. I'm not going to let him be in some form of leadership. I can't. I'm getting beat up and stoned and shot at and all kinds of things all over the place. And you think I'm going to take this guy with me? I have to worry about little Junior wiping his nose while I'm still here trying to figure out how I'm going to stay alive? This is not the time to be holding someone's hand. And Barnabas is like, look at man. This is God's a restoring thing. He goes, awesome. You restore him. I'm going. And they split. What's interesting is when we get to 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says that Mark, my son, says hi. So it appears somewhere down the line when he went back to Jerusalem, which is where Peter was, he hooked up with Peter. And if there's anyone who knows what it's like to be restored, wouldn't it be Peter? The guy who denied that he even knew Jesus three times? 
And with that, he hangs out. What's interesting is by this point, notice he seems to be restored to Paul because he says, hey, Marx is high. That tells me that somewhere they had to be restored because he's with Paul again back by this point. Now, the easiest F word, if you'll pardon me for saying that way, and I hate even to, to think that we could go anywhere bad, is the word forgiven, right? Because he's John Mark the forgiven. But to be honest, there's another word that's even better. See, the thing is, though he failed in the beginning, he finished in the end. I might have to say he's John Mark the finisher. He might have been somebody that was weak in the beginning and was overwhelmed. The good news is a person can be overwhelmed, flake like that, be restored, and get this. Don't miss this. The second gospel in the New Testament was written by this guy. Which is that God not only restored him, but he gave him the opportunity to be permanently recorded in all of history as the guy that writes the second gospel in the Bible. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Now look at if you've been the kind of person, you had a time where you were charging for the Lord and then something happened and you just went, whoa, this is too much, I'm done. The good news is, God's not done with you. His gifts and callings are irrevocable according to the, God, to the book of, of Romans. And here we see that. Look at even if you've failed, even if you've done stupid things, as we all have to some degree, and you've gone, you know what? The good news is, you can finish strong. Well then finish strong, beloved. May there be a finisher in every one of us. Then we have this guy in verse 11. And Jesus, who's called Justice, who we'll read as the last Jew of this list. These are the only fellow workers of the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. Now consider the fact that what do we have about Justice? There's another guy named Justice in Acts chapter 1. Matter of fact, remember when they're replacing Judas, they have two guys that are sort of brought up and say one of these two guys. The guy that loses... Well, that's justice. But that does not, doesn't appear to be this justice. But in Acts chapter 18, it could very well be this guy. And this is what we read. Paul is in Corinth. And he departed from there, and he entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Now get this. Paul had been sharing Jesus. When his guys show up from Macedonia, Paul gets really bold. And the people in the synagogue say, we're so tired of you. We're done. This is too much. So Paul leaves. And the good news is, get this, he just goes next door. So the people that were like, wow, we're really kind of interested in that, but we really didn't want to make it known. Paul's like, I'm leaving. And he just gets up and goes next door. Which means that this guy, this justice guy, just basically says, well, I'm sorry they kicked you out of the synagogue. Why don't you come and stay at my place? I might I just call him Justice the Friendly. He's a guy that was willing to take a guy that had been cast off and open his home to him. And say, hey man, what, and what happens is, Paul then, his ministry, start. this becomes headquarters for scripture. This becomes headquarters for Paul's ministry, and it's right next door to the synagogue. Imagine the risk that Justice had to have when he was right next door to the synagogue. And then we have Epaphras, verse 12. And I ask, is there a part of you that's friendly, first of all? Is there a part of you? Is there a part of me that says, all right, Lord, I will take in the guy. I'll reach out to the guy that other people seem to be having trouble with. Epaphras, who's one of you. Now we're getting into people who are Gentiles. A bondservant of Christ greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear witness that he has great zeal for you and for those of Laodicea and Hierapolis. So might I say it's Epaphras the fervent. 
This guy is spazzing on love for these guys. It tells us he is laboring fervent for you in prayers. Have you ever prayed with a person? And man, it's like, you got to be careful. It's like, there was a guy back in the Central Coast, and man, he was a fervent prayer. Man, he would cast down all kinds of things. He was, but, but I tell you what, if that guy, everyone would avoid standing next to him when we'd get in a circle to pray. Because when he'd pray, he'd squeeze your hand so tight. He'd be like, oh, Lord! And, ooh, and, and you're like, ah! And he just thought you were like totally in it with him, you know? And you're just going, ah, Lord, you in my hand! Oh! And, but he was fervent. When we went and met with Ricky Ryan down in Santa Barbara before he left to go back to Maui, and we prayed for the pastor that wound up planting the church in Cambria, one of my assistants, I remember that Ricky, man, he was just, he's just this big guy. He's a big guy. And we put Matt, the guy that was going to plant this work, and he put him on the couch, and I'm on one side of him, and Ricky's on the other. And Ricky gets so excited, he had, didn't have words left. And he's like, and Lord, Lord, and he did this like three or four times. And poor Matt, he's just kind of a no-nonsense, loves-to-fix-the-plumbing kind of guy. And he could just pull it over. And I didn't know since I was on the other side whether I should move back or, or what. And Matt's just there. But Ricky was just like, oh, Lord, just give him your Holy Spirit. And now, I'm not telling you you have to do that. But the good news is, Paul had one of those guys on his team. Don't miss that. It wasn't like Paul said, excuse me, we're just going to take all the normal people and that's it. I mean, a guy that's fervent in prayer, man. This is a guy, when he gets into prayer, don't expect it to be like, let's just bust up a quick prayer. God, thanks for the food. Amen. This is a guy that, there's no drive-through with this guy. You know, there's no drive-through prayer Santa list thing. This guy's getting on his knees and we're going to be there for a while. And I love people like this. I just love to be warned ahead of time because I really want to make sure that we have the time to really be fervent. Don't you want a guy like this praying for you? And this guy, and I remind you, this was the guy that was not only fervent, but he was the forerunner. This was the guy that planted the church. And the bottom line is, he really had a heart for these people. And he had a heart for good reason. He saw that church planted from nothing. And man, when he prays, his heart's just breaking. Oh, may there be a part of each of us that's like Epaphras, the fervent. Or do you think that the Lord is really blessed? You're like, oh, Lord, yeah, whatever. And okay, amen. I mean, husbands, would you want your wife to turn to you that way? Wives, would you want your husbands to be like that? Oh, yeah, I love you, whatever, you know. Whatever keeps you happy. And you're thinking, well, where's the love in that? And we're talking to the king of the universe? How fervent do you think we should be? Okay, a couple more guys. Now, again, so what we have so far, Tychicus the faithful. Is there a part of you that's like him? Onesimus the freed. Aristarchus the fellow sufferer. Mark the forgiven, but more so the finisher. Justice the friendly. Epaphras the fervent. Verse 11, Luke the beloved physician. By the way, I want to remind you, not only does Luke write the book of the gospel of Luke, that's number three, but he also writes the book of Acts. And so by chapter 16, for what it's worth, something strange happens and you can easily miss it. The book of Acts goes from they did, they went, to we did, and we went. Which leads me to believe that Luke was there now writing this. That's kind of an exciting thought. 
Paul is in Troas. It's mission trip number two. He can't seem to figure out where in the world to go next. He tries to go into Asia. That's like Ephesus. He tries to go up into Bithynia. That's like Istanbul. And the Holy Spirit just prevents him in both cases. Finally, he gets a vision in the middle of the night. And he says, guys, we're going to Europe, Macedonia. And it says, well, then we went. And all of a sudden, the they went into a we. So somewhere in Troas, Luke shows up. We do know him here as a physician. That's a good thing. And if there's a guy that needs a traveling doctor, it appears as if Paul would be the best guy for that job. I mean, you'd think Paul needs a bodyguard. No, Paul needs a doctor. Now, understand, a doctor wasn't a guy that had this sort of... In, in America, you think of a doctor as the guy that plays golf half the time and makes extreme amounts of money the rest of it. And he's just... I mean, here, maybe that's not the case. He's sort of chiseled down a bit. But back then, he was even less so. He was basically a slave like the rest. He just happened to have some skills so that his particular area of service was patching you up. He was a fixer-upper kind of guy. Might I say Luke was the fixer. That's what he was. Here's the most amazing part. Luke, basically, Paul goes and he heads through Philippi. But by the way, if you remember, that's where he gets arrested for seeing that gal that was demon-possessed delivered. And then it goes to a they again. And they head down into Greece, into Athens and Corinth. And when Paul goes back up through Philippi, he picks up Luke again and it becomes a we again. He heads back into Jerusalem. And ultimately, from all of that, Luke will be with him all the way then to prison. And Luke will follow him. And he will serve him. But he's the fixer. He's a guy that's faithfully there to help fix up the holes that are made into this. The pains that are caused into it. And there will be fixers among our fellowship. People, to be honest, that's just a faithful person that will be there to help patch up the wounds. Hey, some of you may have come from a fellowship that you really got burned. You really got hurt. Now, some of you didn't. Praise the Lord. Some of you, you've just given your life to Christ, so this whole thing's brand new. Praise the Lord. May it never be that you've ever come from a fellowship that's done anything but bring you to Jesus. But this guy was faithful. I mean, he could have said, hey, you know, we're done with all of this. But somewhere in this, it looks like Luke just took the liberty of just saying, I'm going to follow you. And I'm just going to be there with a handful of gauze and antibiotics and neosporin for the rest of our trip. Because it looks like you're going to need it. Now, up to this point, every person we've met, there's a part of us, at least me, that says, I'd love to be like each of these guys. But our last two guys, to close this up, not everybody that's on the list is actually an honorable mention. Now, here we get this. Demas. Verse 14. Demas greets you. Demas is listed in three different places. For what it's worth, Demas is in the book of Philemon. Remember the freed slave? Freed slave that's Onesimus, the, his original master. Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas, fellow laborers, say hi. So let's just say it starts there. The first time he's mentioned, he's mentioned as a fellow laborer. Here we only read him as Demas. Notice, no fellow laborer, no faithful anything, just Demas, he says hi. But the last letter that Paul writes, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 unfortunately tells us his future. And this is what we read. For Demas, he has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Now hear me out. This guy was in ministry. This was a guy that served next to Paul, according to Philemon, when he writes to Philemon. Philemon would have known him as a faithful worker, because that's what Paul wrote in his letter. He was a faithful worker. Or in this case, I'm sorry, not faithful. He just writes fellow laborer. That's all he writes. I'm sorry. So he was a guy that he worked next to me. So he was a guy that 
we were there, both Bibles open, worship music was playing, getting ready for our messages or whatever, on our knees perhaps praying. I don't know whether he was or not, but we were next to each other. And there we were. And he was a guy that, man, he could teach a good sermon. I remember those moments, man, when he pulled out something, he pulled out this lure. And I'm talking about Demas as I know. And I got to tell you, it hurts, man. It hurts. I remember a friend of mine, man, a friend of mine that we purposely met once a month and said, tell me how we could be praying so no one falls in this group because we'd seen enough of them. And man, he brought once this lure, and I'll never forget it. He brought this lure. It was shiny, and it was like, you know, a lure like for fishing. It was shiny and full of colors and all of that. And then he flipped it up. And as he flipped it up, was this big hook hidden underneath something that probably looked like a grass skirt from a hula girl kind of thing. And he goes, this is what sin's like. This is what it looks like, and this is what it really is. Little what I know, it was that hook that would wind up in his own mouth. And I remember sitting, looking at him, going, as he looks at me with this blank look of, of just shock, saying, I, I fell. And going, well, then let's work on this. Let's, let's meet with your wife. Let's, let's get this thing fixed. I mean, it isn't like there's no quick fix to this. We're going to see. Let's get you back to where you belong. And first, that means Jesus. And second, that means your family. And I mean, you've got a son that's looking at you, waiting to, looking for a hero. And you want to be his hero. Are you going to be his hero? Now's the time to prove it. Oh, no. No meeting with his family. None at all. He would meet with another pastor and they'd have a few meetings. The difference from that other pastor and, and, and me, with all due respect, and it isn't like he... Is that there was a lot of information that I had that he didn't have to tell another guy. But he had, because he would confide stuff in me, nothing in regards to this arena. His decision, his decision was to become a cop. You see, as a, as a pastor, he had a lot of authority and little accountability where he, the situation he was set up in. But when he became a cop, he had a lot more authority and no accountability. Where is he now? I wish I could tell you. Another pastor friend of mine. We would do conferences together because we were known as the pastors who had young churches. I mean, you know, young, vibrant people come to your churches. We don't understand it. How come you add all the ages of everyone that goes to your fellowship and it equals one, the age of one of our congregants? You know, and you know, and they were there. They were there when the when the hymns and the psalms were written. You know, and you know, well, you know, and, and we would be man, me and Todd. We'd be next to each other, and and they would, you know, they'd ask questions, and we were on panels together, and how blah blah blah, and he would wax eloquent about this and that. Pastored two churches in San Francisco, man. I mean, there was one on one side and one on another in a Baptist church that was finally cleaning up after all kinds of muckery that was going on there and this thing that was going on where they met at this place and, and they took over this pub and cleaned it up and man, his stuff, you know. And, and then one day we get a call from his wife and he's gone and he had this whole different personality that was out on the, the internet. And it was so sick and tawdry that that the people the under dungeness world he was involved in threatened his wife and she fled for her life 
And she was freaked out. Now look at The problem is, you, you could look at both of them a month before and be completely fooled. Me too. I mean, there were always things you can kind of go, you can, you know, any person like that, you can always look back and go, oh, I should have saw that and that and that and that. But to be honest, you could see that and that and that and that in each of us. Because truth be told, beloved, there is a Demas in every one of us that needs to die. All the Demas is, is a person that was still in Egypt when God took the, you know, the part of Egypt that still goes with you when you're delivered out. And beloved, please, please, as your pastor, please let God kill that person. Because I don't, I don't want to cry over you. And I tell you what, I will. And I, and I don't want that. I, I don't want that kind of pain. And, I, and we've already seen people in our own fellowship here that have been full of 100% promises that, that have nothing, that really are nothing anymore. And, and you know God plays for keeps, and you know he's not done with them, but man, it's like, God, please don't let that person be a Demas. This was someone Paul served next to, a fellow laborer. So what is he? The simplest answer is, he's Demas the failure. He's Demas the fallen. He's Demas, according to this, the forsaker. Because he forsook all of that for what? Because he loved this present world. Somehow he thought the world had something more to offer him than that. And every person that I talked to, and there were many, that's what happened. Please don't let there be a person like that in you. Or at least, well, if there is, and there will be as humans, let him die. Well, there's another one. What, because it's interesting, because then we get this last text. And I know this is serious, and we've gone long, but beloved... How do you stop and leave one guy behind? Greet the brothers that are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that's in his house. So there's a church that's happening somewhere in Laodicea and it seems to be Nymphus's house. Kind of like this. Now when the epistle is read among you, see that it is also that you also read the church from Laodiceans and they read yours. So there's a letter we don't have in scripture that somehow these guys read. But then there's verse 17. Here's our last guy. And say Rachippus. Which means, by the way, the first horse. Take heed to the ministry and what you've received in the Lord. Fulfill it. Hmm. Archippus was one of the people, according to Philemon, by the way, verse 2, was one of the people with Paul. And it's interesting because that appears to be, hear me out. Well, go there. Go there. We're about to close this anyways. You're in the book of Colossians, so go right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, go right. You're going to find the book of Philemon. You'll go through all of the T books, Thessalonians, Titus, and Timothy, and then it'll be this, again, one chapter book, Philemon. Look at the first two verses. Who is Archippus according to this? You tell me. You can sort of shout it out. Who is he? Fellow soldier. Fellow soldier. What else does it say about him? Beloved friend and fellow laborer. Yeah. And what else? The church that is in his house. Do you know what Archippus was? He was the pastor. Remember how it said that Paul wrote that letter to this guy that was a slave owner, but he cc'd the pastor? This is the pastor. What in the world is he doing in Colossae? 
And this was the pastor of Philemon. Unless Philemon and the church was actually the church in Colossae, which is debatable. The bottom line is somewhere down the line, this guy's not pastoring. At least if he is, he's not pastoring the way that Paul expects him to. And he says, get on it. What's up with you? Because look at God's placed an incredible calling on your life. I mean, an immeasurable calling. I mean, a calling that is so great and glamorous and just amazing. You're going to see the miracles of God all over you. And he goes, grab a hold of it. That's the term he uses here. Take heed to the ministry you received. Look, God takes very seriously the calling he places on your life. What if the calling he's placed on your life was to be the one person first that God uses to utterly transform London? Why not you? For every reason you have, it probably qualifies you to be it. When you tell him, well, not me because. Because God tends to use the people that aren't, remind you. So who is Archippus? Might I just say, he's Archippus the floundering. The person who just flounders around, he's flipping, he just isn't really resolved to do what the Lord's called him to. He's like, you know what? As long as it serves me and as long as it's convenient, I'm cool with it. Apparently it isn't at the moment. Now with Timothy, Timothy, we'll, we'll read when he writes to Timothy in his letters. Timothy's like the fearful. That guy's just freaked out and he's going, look, get over your fear and be the pastor God's called you to be. But this guy, he just says, do it. What's wrong with you? Step up. Be a man. And you know what? The world is lacking that. The world is lacking men who are willing to have a spine that are going to say, look, I'm going to do what the Lord's called me to, to whatever degree it is. And if that's scrubbing toilets, I'm going to do it with a song on my heart. And if it is to get out there, I'm going to get out there. But whatever it is, I want to take heed to the ministry the Lord's called me to. Well, if it, there's an Archippus in you, he needs to die too. Or should I say he needs to surrender? He needs to surrender to the power of God and step up. Let me close this down. Let's wrap through these people one more time and then let's pray for each of us. Tychicus, the faithful. By the way, I've learned you can't be Tychicus and Archippus, can you? You have to be one or the other. So make your choice. You want to be Tychicus, the faithful, or Archippus, the floundering. There's Onesimus, the freed. And you can't really be Onesimus, the freed, and be Demas, the forsaker. You're either going to be free from the trappings of this world or you're going to surrender to it. There's Mark, who was a bit of Demas, perhaps, but now he isn't. He's the finisher. And if you are a Demas at this moment, or an Archippus at this moment, hand it over today and become a Mark. And who knows? The Lord may be writing a whole new fresh gospel through your life. We're living epistles now. Maybe you're justice the friendly. There is no shortage of need for people when they give their life to Christ to go, I'm freaked out. I had a whole posse of people I hung out with. Now I'm forsaking them for what? Be the person that opens the arms and says, come in, be a part of this family. There's Epaphras the fervent. Let us not do things lackluster, but let's do it with our being, beloved. Luke's the guy that's going to be there with a wrench in his hand. Whatever that means for people, for stuff. Luke, in this case, he served Paul. But man, if the Lord's called you to that, never under, never underestimate what God wants to do. And if you feel like what I feel like what I'm doing gets no spotlight. Well, in God's eyes, it's getting spotlight, even if other people aren't applauding you for it. Do you think there was anyone else that applauded Luke for the times he bandaged Paul's wounds? 
He did the work as, a, as he was called to. But in the end of it all, he gets lots of press and winds up writing two of the largest books of the entire New Testament. That tells me something, that God saw his faithfulness and did something with it. And then there's Demas. And then there's Archippus. It ends with Paul saying, hey, look, at, I write this now in my own hand, so you know I did this. Remember my chains. But Christ be with you. It's the grace, by the way, that'll keep Archippus from being who we are. It's the grace of God that'll keep us from being a Demas. But no Demas is here, okay? Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you for this text. Certainly there are moments of great joy and great winnings, and there are other moments, Lord, of great failure. Moments, Lord, where we look at and we think, oh God, don't let me be that. And I just pray right now, Lord, for every person here, myself included, God, I, I, I have to openly admit, Lord, it isn't that that there aren't any Demases in this room. There are a room full of people that are potentially a Demas. And all we have to do is surrender to the person we used to be. The person that loved the world. The person that was bought into the lies of this world as if that was what would satisfy. And first of all, Lord, I pray for every person here that you would allow the Demases in us to die. And Lord Jesus, you made that possible by dying on the cross so that the Demas in us could die. So we could leave that person at the cross where you paid for all of our guilt. And as you rose again, you offer us brand new life. A new life, Lord God, that is a life that celebrates you. But Lord, with that new life comes a calling that you've placed on each of our lives. And we don't want to be in our kippus, Lord, to flounder, Lord, and not seize that which you lay before us. So, Lord God, if you have us in prep, may we be faithful in the prep. If you have us in practice, may we be faithful in practice. But may we be faithful all the same. I thank you for Tychicus and his faithfulness. I thank you for Onesimus and his freedom, Lord. Lord God, I thank you for these men who have showed their willingness to suffer with others like Aristarchus, or the way that they finished strong like Mark, or have embraced others and opened their home like Justice. Oh Lord, make us those people, we pray. And make this fellowship a healthy fellowship. And we pray for the utter transformation of London, of this world, which started here in our Jerusalem. So guide us and lead us, Lord, and fill us not for our own personal aggrandizement, but for your blessing, Lord. Thank you for the Lukes, Lord, who are there and are willing, Lord, to look for the hole and fix it, for the need and be there to patch it. And thank you for Luke's faithfulness and, Lord, for ours. We recognize any bit of it's your work, so please, Lord, do it. We pray, Lord, for the way you want to use us this week. Lord, use us, we pray. Use us for your glory. As we commit ourselves to you, Lord, we again openly admit ourselves uh, without you as complete and abject guilty sinners. But Lord, you paid the price on the cross and rose again. And we again, Lord Jesus, yes, yes to your gift. But be the Lord of us then as you now redeemed us. And in that redeeming us and in being the Lord then... May we embrace the calling you've placed on us and be faithful to the end. 
So we now say yes to you and again say, Lord, this is your week and we are your people. Do with us as you see fit. In Jesus' name. Amen.